Down here, when they just realized that I was going to get up and bring the lesson this morning, there was a thought, oh, no. (laughs) I'm glad to be here, glad to share the time with you. Let me take just a moment before we get to the lesson. I want to tell you about my morning. It was a good morning. Got up well. Things were marvelous. Had my quiet time to sit and read and study on my lesson a little while longer this morning, typical Sunday morning. But there were three grandchildren in the house. They got up in a little while. They were not a problem. Got them fed and so forth. And then I went upstairs to get dressed and putting on the clothes so that I could look appropriate for the morning until I bent over to put on my shoes. That's when that old nerve in the back said, you don't want to do this. Anybody else have that problem occasionally? And so I was hobbling for the next little while, thinking, oh, man, I don't know whether I'm going to be able to do this or not, you know, because I'm a weak and pitiful individual. No, I knew I was going to, but I just thought, this is not going to be pleasant. And then a few mo- a little bit later, getting ready, getting everybody out the door, all's good and, and so forth, and we're heading out the door, and I'm kind of limping along thinking, as long as I stand up, I'll be okay. I'm good. I'm good. And I feel fine. I feel fine. But uh, I start, we're getting ready to go out the door, and suddenly I receive a text. Russ, would you cover my class for me this morning? I don't care what you teach. <laughs> that's, that's the mentoring job I've done on Kyle in recent days. Thank you, Kyle, for the forewarning. Thank you for giving me five minutes to prepare for class. <laughs> and all that's been a good morning. We had a, I had a good time with the class that I was in this morning, and, I, and hopefully they had a good time as well with it. But I had a thought. I thought, what am I going to share with you? What am I going to share with you this morning? I, just up here, this is the last, uh, last Sunday of the month. I'm up here, I'm going to share something with you. It's my turn to preach again. And I had several thoughts that came to mind, and then, then this one. I think it came out of the reading, and I'll get to the reading in just a moment. But it's that old adage, we are where we are. And we better be where we are or we're nowhere. I call it between the beginning and the end of faith. That is where we live. Because I think sometimes we're so preoccupied or post-occupied that we forget we're living today. Jesus had some time with it in some of the lessons that he shared. He spent time talking about today, 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 and the importance of today and how today stands out. And we'll get to the importance of that in just a moment, but I think about our lives because especially our spiritual lives, but even our physical lives, but our spiritual lives are often tied up in a point of beginning and a point of ending. And have we really concentrated on the in-between? You've probably heard a lot of stories about that kind of thing, but you know what came to my mind was the Oreo cookie. Most people love Oreo cookies. They may not be on our diets. They may not be good for us and all of that. You know, you can go into that. But we still, for many years, we've loved Oreo cookies. And I know you can dip them in milk or whatever. But you know, what I I think about is why do we like them? Why do we like Oreo cookies so much? It's the creamy middle. It is that creamy middle. I don't care what you say. It is that sweet, creamy middle. It's not that we don't like the chocolate wafers that are on the top and the bottom of it, but we like that creamy middle. It's without the creamy middle, they're just plain chocolate cookies. That's all it is. Now, that doesn't necessarily sound all that bad, 
But you know, when you put the middle in it, it changes the whole context of the cookie. It makes it something, and now you're wishing you had an Oreo cookie. I know. Shouldn't bring that up this morning. Shouldn't bring that to you. But see, those cookies are just one example, and there are a lot of cookies like that. Those cookies are just one example of the importance of the filling in the middle. Pick out any sandwich that you want. I mean, what's a grilled cheese sandwich without the cheese? A couple of pieces of toasted bread. That's kind of dull or, you know, cooked on a griddle. But you put the cheese in it, suddenly you've got something special there. What's well, a hamburger without the meat? And the, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we want good bread on it. Yeah, we want the other things. We want that, but we want that middle. When you have a sandwich, you talk about the middle of the sandwich. It's what's in the middle that makes it so valuable, that makes it taste so good, that really makes it the sandwich or the sandwich cookie. And that's the way it is with life. What would life be if there was only a beginning and an end, and that's all? I was thinking about the cicadas have pretty much quit singing now. Just about over, I guess. But you know, the trees have been filled with those cicadas. You think about that short lifespan they have. They come and they go, they die. We find them dead all over the place, and there are other insects like that. What if life was that way? You're just born and you die, and that's it. Just very brief in the middle, and that's it. But, you know, I think when we look at our lives, we don't think so much about the beginning. Yeah, we rejoice in the beginning when we, and we honor at the end, but it's the, what's found in the middle of that life that becomes so important. I know, I know that those commercials are intended to be silly that point out to that young person that just graduates from college, what are you going to do now? Well, I think I'll retire now. That's silly. But sometimes I fear in our spiritual lives In our lives of faith, that's about the way it is. So let's get back to faith in this. Let's point this at real faith. Because faith is built. It's not something automatic. It's something that grows. It's something that's learned. I know in Romans 10, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing, by learning the word of God. It's much like a baby attaching to a mom and dad. It's a learned experience. Yes, there's an immediate response, but then through the years and those hundreds of thousands of millions of things that happen in those next years, that child learns to love those parents, and the parents learn to love that child in ways that they would not have even imagined. The beginning and the attachment of faith must invest in the uncountable numbers of steps that we take every day in order to find out what that faith really is and to develop it in the way it needs to be. For without all those steps, without all that growth, without all that learning, without all that middle, there is no point of positive ending. We need to know that. So I want to turn your attention to a passage in 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, I think Peter addresses this to some degree, and you may listen to it. I want, you to, I want you to see this and what he has to say. You can follow along either reading on the screen or in your Bible or just listening to this. For Peter writes, beginning in verse 3, blessed, this chapter 1, 1 Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, the ending there. But he says, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, listen to this, though now, for a little while, if need be, 
You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." He said, not only is there a beginning of your faith, not only is there a preparation for it, but there is a faith that is lived and is lived through challenges and trials and growth every day, and it points to the end of that faith, the salvation of your soul. That's what I get out of that passage. So for the next few minutes, let me share with you something, because I think it's important. As we think about that, we need to see where we are, because the point is, We had a beginning. We were begotten. We were born to a living hope. As Christians, we were born to a living hope, and that is important. And sometimes I fear maybe we've not done enough to impress that upon ourselves and upon our hearers. There is a point of beginning. Something brought us to Christ. Maybe we've each got our own story, where we came from, what we learned, and how we got to where we are. Some of us were raised in that story, much like Timothy with with his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. He had learned that faith, and he had grown and developed that faith. It was just a natural part of his life. And some of us have known that all our lives. Some of us had the story brought to us, maybe by friends or relatives or others thereabout. It was brought our way somewhere along. Somebody said, I think I found something and I want you to know it. Much like Andrew went and found Simon Peter, much like, much like Philip went and found Nathaniel in the latter part of John chapter 1. And some of us, some of us found it by circumstance. Maybe we found troubles in our lives. Maybe we actually read the Bible. I was thinking about a noted prison preacher who who learned the gospel by just sitting down in his cell and reading the Bible. And he learned it. Some of us found it by circumstantial choice. I think about that blind man that, that Jesus came across in John chapter 9. That man didn't know Jesus was coming. He didn't know what was going to happen to him that day. It was just another day of being blind until Jesus gave him sight. Sometimes that's the way it's brought to us in Christ. We suddenly come across it. We realize there's something been missing in my life, and I need that. So something brought us to know that there is a Christ, to know that there is an opportunity, to know that there is something that we need to do because then we grasped. We grasped the message. We got hold of that message. We heard the words of Jesus and about Jesus. We heard the message of that familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we go on to read the 17th verse as well as the 16th. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Wow. That struck us. And we know how important it is. We heard it in the words of Jesus as he warned that unless we repent, unless we turn to him, we're bound to be lost. Luke 13, verses 3 and verse 5 as well. He says it twice right together there. It was a message that was puzzling And even yet plain to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Hopefully we had a realization of the need to be rid of the rest of the the things that were in our life. To be rid of the sin that would take us away from God. To be rid of anything that was between us and God so that we could be right with God. As those on that Pentecost day said, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter said, let every one of you, verse 38, boy, it's familiar. And some people, 
You've got it memorized. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Wow. Yes. The power of it is there. And when we recognize what was taught us, regardless of what any religious group, regardless of what any world says, regardless of what we might have thought, what, regardless of anything else, when we looked at it, we heard it in the Scripture, we recognized the truth of it, we grabbed hold of it. We accepted it and we said, that's it. I need to go to him. I need to turn to him. I need to believe in him. I need to confess him. I need to repent of those things. In other words, turn from him. I need to give myself to him and I need to humbly be baptized that my sins can be washed away, much like uh, Saul of Tarsus learned. I need that in my life. And we were born again, just like he described. That's what it teaches. It's plain. It's simple. It's straightforward. Straightforward. We understood what we needed to do. It wasn't complex. It wasn't hard. I think about that, that, that man with leprosy, Naaman, in 1 Kings 5. When he began to wonder, why in the world would he call on me to go dip in this dumb, dirty Jordan River? And his servants, those simple servants that came to him and said, Master, if he'd ask you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? There's no price you wouldn't have paid. There's no thing you wouldn't have done if it had sounded great. But to just go dip in that old river and you'll be cleansed of your leprosy, why not? And when he did, it was done. When, it, when he did, he was clean. Yes, that's what's taught us. Yes, that's what we accept in him. That passage in Acts 2.38 or Mark 16.15 and 16, especially when he says, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. It's important. We need to read those things. We need to read just like the sign in front of the building reminds us that baptism is an in instrumental part in our salvation. Yes, we were begotten to a living hope, buried with him by baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. But let's skip forward just a little bit in this, if you will, with me. Because not only do we look to that beginning where we were begotten or born to a living hope, but we look to the ending of our faith. Where does this go? I think there's a part of us we know and we trust that we are saved. But I think there's also a time that we struggle with that a little bit. We struggle, struggle with accepting that grace, that salvation that is in him. Sometimes people are often heard, I hope I make it. Perhaps we need to read again what John says. 1 John 5, verse 13, one of my favorite verses, where he reminds us that he has written these things to us that we might know that we have life. Jesus had already told us, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, John 10 and verse 10. There's so many passages that point to that. And when our trust is in place, we remember that it is in the grace of God through our faith that we are saved. Read Ephesians 2, if you will. Pick up in verse 8, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. It's not because you're something great or you've paid some great price or done something great. It is by the grace of God that you are saved. And created unto a beautiful working system in him. Yes, I understand it is not something you can literally see. 
A person that goes into the water and comes out of the water only looks different by the water on them. That's it. But inside, there's something very different. Faith gives substance in what you trust. It is the substance of things hoped for, as well as the evidence of those things that are not seen. But we look to the ending of our faith, sometimes people almost too, almost too much. By that I mean there are a lot of people who are only worried about what comes down the road, what's going to be at the end, what's going to happen to me in the afterlife. I tell you, to be real honest with you, I'm not really worried about what's going to happen to me, exactly what's going to be. Are there going to be streets of gold and gates of pearl? (laughs) I think that's just a a figurative image of things. Are there going to be mansions of great size? Figurative things. Or as my friend taught several years ago, will there be dogs in heaven? Well, (laughs) probably not my dog. (laughs) In all seriousness, I don't know exactly what heaven is. I can't tell you that. I think what John was saying in 1 John 3, it does not yet appear what we shall be, gives us an idea that we can't fully fathom exactly what it is in that regard. But there are a lot of religious groups and a lot of religious doctrine that is entangled simply in what happens to us after we die. For some groups, their whole religious dogma is tied up in the afterlife existence. We've got to be with the 144,000. We've got to get caught up in the rapture or whatever it happens to be. We get caught in the comet's tail and we'll be taken away. You name it, it's there. For some groups... And maybe even for some individuals, maybe even sometimes in our own minds, it would appear that the only really two parts of being a Christian are that of being born into Christ and that of dying in Christ. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot of thought given to it. But if all it's about is being born and dying, what if this is not the 11th hour? What are we going to do? As Jesus is telling the story about the workers coming to the 11th hour, he says, why you guys been hanging out here all day, not doing anything? Maybe this is not the 11th hour. We need to be about the Father's business. We need to be about the business of life. We need to be about that abundant living. We need to be about what we're supposed to be. Because I want to tell you something this morning, and here it is. We are in the middle We are in the cream filling, if you will. We are in the middle. So what about the middle? That, that is where we are. That needs to be important. That needs to stand out of our minds. What we are and where we are and what we are doing today is vitally important. And it makes the life worthwhile. We don't get up where we belong without the journey. Listen to these words. See if they don't go along, kind of along with what Peter was saying. Who knows what tomorrow brings? In a world few hearts survive, kind of out there. All I know is the way I feel, and when it's real, I keep it alive. The road is long. Listen to this. The road is long. There are mountains in our way, but, if we, but we climb a step every day. Isn't that the life of the middle? If you want to you make it more succinct, go to the old spiritual song. If you don't bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. That's pretty succinct and pretty straightforward. But that's where it comes to, and that's what it's about. 
And so what I'm talking about is now, here in the middle, here at our point in time. It doesn't matter whether you're 8 or 80. We're in the middle. We live, and where we live today is in the middle. We spend far too much time talking about the past and worrying about the future. We live in the middle. And in the middle, it is a time. It is a time for seeing how blessed we are. We need to look around us and see how marvelous the creation about us is. We need to look around us and see how marvelous the people are about us. We need to see about the things that are in our lives that make our lives so abundant and beautiful in so many ways besides that and the blood of Christ and all the forgiveness and all the salvation and the wonder and the nature of what we've got. We need to see how blessed we are. We spend a lot of time complaining about the world and conditions and taxes and government and politics. We need to see how blessed we are. Secondly, we need to see the future with an optimistic view. We need to see the future with optimism. Even if we can't fully fathom exactly what lies out there and we can't tell what's really going to happen even tomorrow, we need to see it with optimism as we look forward to what might be coming our way. I don't know what the future holds. I told the class this morning, I don't have a clue what's going to be 20 years down the road. I may not be around to see it. But I've got to believe if God's in it, it's good. And we need to be cherishing our relationships. We cast off relationships far too easily. One little thing will bother us and we throw them aside. I look around a room like this and I see family. I always considered the church to be family. From the time we came here 23 years ago, I considered the church to be family. A lot of people have come and gone and they didn't consider it family and I'm sorry. And there are sometimes times to separate. I understand that and I can understand how important they are. But I've got to tell you that there's going to, it's going to take an awful lot to separate me from my family. They are important to me. My blood relationship with my family is important to me. And it's going to take a lot to take them away from me. Shouldn't it be the same in our spiritual family in Christ? Shouldn't it take something enormous to be able to separate us from the people who are a part of our family and our relationship? Thank you. And we, it is a time for moral and spiritual strength. We see decay around us, don't we? We understand it. We've seen how things have gone in our society and the moral differences that have arisen in more present times. Things that we never would have imagined could possibly be, and yet they are. We need people. We need ourselves to be moral and spiritual in our strength. We need to be people who know who and whose we are. We're not this on Sunday and that on Monday. When we're spending our time in immoral practices at other times than we, and then just coming to church to get ourselves straightened out, we're kind of missing the point. We need to be committing ourselves to moral and spiritual strength in the present. Fifthly, we need to rise above the trials and tests of our lives. We can let them overcome us if we want. We can let them take us down if we want. We can just stop entirely. We can close ourselves into our little private spheres and act like the world can just go on by and I'll just hide right here. But that doesn't accomplish much in our lives. We need to rise above the trials and the tests of life to be what we can be. And finally, we need to commit ourselves, our lives, and our love for God. I appreciate what... Aaron said last week, and he talked about God in everything in our lives. I think he said it well. 
It's not just putting God first in a, in a system in which, okay, I got God in this place, and I'm going to do this in this place and that in that place. It's about God in everything and everything through God. Every, God is in everything that we do, whether I'm a father, a husband, a, a preacher, or a dumb guy that's walking around the streets and doesn't know where he's going. I want God in everything I'm doing. We need that in our lives. We need to rise above the trials and tests and commit ourselves fully in our love for God. Our appreciation, our love for God is going to show in the way that we live our lives Monday through Friday through Saturday too, even when we're watching a football game if we don't like the outcome. And even when we're driving down the street and that person you don't want in front of you is driving in front of you. We've got to commit ourselves. I shouldn't make fun like that. We've got to commit ourselves and our love for God. It should show in our worship and our determination to worship. What do we let get in our way of worshiping God? What do we let get in our way of being with our family? What do we let get in our way of being what we are? What do we get in, let get in our way of observing and recognizing how blessed and marvelous the world is and seeing the future with optimism? What do we let get in the way? Nothing should. And the result, and the result of living well in the middle is receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So if there's a point to all this, and Aaron's very good at putting his point up there and making us aware of it, here's the point. We all need to see where we are. You need to know where you are. If we've not been born again, have not come to that new beginning in Christ by faith that brings us to repentance and baptism for the remission of sins, we have not really yet begun and it's time to begin. Once we're born into Christ, we can live in that middle, look forward to the full strength of every day of committing ourselves in that abundant life that is in him. And we can look forward as well to the end of our faith. And yes, faith does end in, in absolute reality with God. We can look forward to the end of our faith and that ultimate salvation that's only in God for us. We live in the middle. We're going to sing that song of encouragement this morning. Let it be one that encourages and invites us all. If somebody needs to respond this morning, let us encourage you to do so if that's your need today. But may it be an awakening to us all to consider very carefully how we stand before God this day and every day. If someone needs to come this morning, please do so while we stand and sing together.